The Doctrine of Discovery is the current system of laws and policies that justify the removal of land from indigenous peoples. These laws are rooted in church doctrines that originated in the 15th century. Together, we will uncover this deep structure of colonization that systematically deprives indigenous peoples of human rights. I'm Sherry Hostetler, and I help start a coalition of Anabaptist people of faith that seek to dismantle the doctrine of discovery. I'm also a Mennonite pastor in San Francisco. I'm Sarah Augustine, and I also help to start this coalition. As an activist and scholar, I am the descendant of the Tewa people and a displaced person. This is the Dismantling the Doctrine of Discovery podcast. So my question for you, Sarah, is why are you doing this podcast when I know you have so many other things you're doing in your life? As an Anabaptist woman, I am passionate from my identity as an Anabaptist, as a follower of Jesus, and as a Native woman to dismantle the doctrine of discovery. And I care about this so much you and I and Anita Amstutz and some others created this coalition to dismantle the doctrine of discovery, this Anabaptist coalition to do that work. And in that work, you know, we've created some education materials. We've done some organizing around issues that are important to Indigenous peoples. I mean, current events related to Indigenous peoples in North America and elsewhere. One of the things that has been challenging about that work is that while we can do a lot of education and raising awareness and so on, what we really need are additional people to help us in the work. And it can be kind of a lengthy induction process as you're learning about what the issues are. I mean, this, the doctrine of discovery is a structure that defines our lives together, and yet we, we aren't taught about it in school. The term seems kind of <clears throat> archaic and complicated, and so... It feels like we're often having the, the introductory conversation over and over and over again. And so it felt like, hey, if we did this podcast, what we'd be able to do is let a lot of people know about the work, about the context, and then we could ask people to get involved and, and share with them how to get involved. And I think that's so important because some people are going to listen to the podcast because they want to learn about it and it will just be a, a learning opportunity, but others will want to get involved. And so I'm talking to you, people who want to get involved because we need you. We need people of faith who are ready to step into the arena of resistance for social change, stepping into the kingdom, realizing the kingdom of God. Your book that's coming out in June 2021, Sarah, is called This Land is Not Empty. I think it's the subtitle is Following Jesus in Dismantling the Doctrine of Discovery. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. And so obviously you see following Jesus and dismantling the doctrine of discovery as one and the same thing, really. Yeah. How do you see that as one and the same? When Jesus comes out of the desert and he's ending his period of fasting, he goes to speak in the assembly. He reads from the book of Isaiah and he speaks his mandate. And he says, the spirit of God is upon me to bring good news to the poor. And he talks about what that means. It's freedom for the oppressed and release for the prisoner and sight for the blind. 
Jesus is speaking about what, what his mandate is and what he's going to do. And, and I see that as the framework for living a life of discipleship. And so understanding that this injustice is going on, especially targeting vulnerable people, indigenous people, removing them from their land for the benefit of the powerful and the mighty, that is the opposite of what Jesus' vision is for the earth and for the world. And so stepping into into dismantling the structures of oppression is the same as stepping into collaboration and cooperation with the spirit of life, which is to say the, the framework that Jesus describes for the kingdom of God, the upside down kingdom. Mm. Mm. Is that why you were so drawn to Anabaptism? Because you felt like within Anabaptism, you heard that message? You're right, Sherry. You know, I'm a convert. Um, I became a Mennonite in my 20s. I was drawn to the peace witness for sure, and not just peace in terms of inactivity or passivity, but in active peacemaking, which Anabaptists are known for. I became a mediator. That's my profession in the world. And I became a mediator as a result of the Mennonite church and continue to learn together in community how to participate in co-discernment, how to realize the kingdom of God together in the process of mutual and co-creation. you why are you doing this podcast you know you're as busy as I am and what has attracted you to participating in this podcast there's so many reasons behind that I mean one is I think podcasts are a wonderful way to reach people in just the way you said like I love podcasts I I listen to them all the time and I think they're a wonderful way of learning and connecting and you're right learning about the doctrine of discovery it's a long orientation in some ways. So I think this is just one of the best ways out there to sort of deliver the information. And I think your book that's going to be out soon is one of those really good ways too. I feel like between the podcast and your book, we could just reach so many more people and hopefully bring them on with the work. I'm doing this partly because also I love you and I love our relationship and I love talking with you. You know, why not let other people in on that? I guess I started doing the work of a coalition because I, you know, there's this idea of substitutionary atonement out there in Christianity, which is a, probably the predominant view of salvation, especially among evangelical folks, that it's basically Jesus died for our sins and everyone needs to confess their sins and ask Jesus to be Lord of their life. And so I thought, well, I actually do sort of believe that Jesus died for our sins because I believe that. There are systems of domination and that those are the powers and principalities. They existed in his day, you know, as a part of the sort of Roman Empire. 
They certainly exist in our day in the form of white supremacy and the doctrine of discovery and et cetera. And that these are the powers and principalities that cause us to live in wrong relationship with God and with each other and with ourselves and with creation. And so to truly love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength and all our mind and to love our neighbor as ourself, we need to undo those systems of domination that prevent us from doing that and that manifest themselves both in policies and laws and economic structures, and then also in our hearts and minds. And I believe Jesus died because he radically challenged those systems of domination of his day. And I believe God raised him to new life to demonstrate that God gives power and victory, a power and victory that transcends death to those on the side of the systems of life. And then I thought, you know, everyone does need to confess their sins. I believe we all need to become conscious of and confess the ways that we are oppressed by, entwined with, and complicit in systems of domination. And then for me, asking Jesus to be the Lord of our life means that I believe that we need to follow in the way of Jesus and allow that way of following him to have priority in our life, to let it be the Lord of our life. And so we need to give allegiance to the way of Jesus above all other allegiances. And I really believe how this became real for me with the doctrine of discovery. There's so many different ways in which it became real for me. But part of it was that when I realized I am the descendant of white settlers, and to make it even more ironic, I'm the descendant of pacifist white settlers (laughs) who came to this country because they were persecuted, but who reaped enormous benefits from being able to own good farmland from the second they stepped into this country in 1732 and to own this really good farmland and to realize, and we're going to talk about this more in a future episode, but to sort of realize that my ancestors were part of this settler colonialist project and that the sort of security and stability of my life that I enjoyed was really based on that. And, you know, that's a complicated story of my ancestors, but they were a part of the settler colonialist project that was the way that indigenous people of this land were just dispossessed. You know, Sherry, there are a couple of things that you said that I want to explore. The first one, I guess, is just saying, you know, so many people, when they come to that realization, what you're talking about, hey, you know, I'm the descendant of settlers, feel defensive about that and work to justify it or else they feel sort of paralyzed um, by guilt about that. And they feel like, well, you know, I'm not worthy to even participate in the conversation because this is my history. And, and what is the difference for you? How, what makes you able to engage and to not be crippled by those things? I mean, what, tell me about that. Well, I think part of the way it's not crippling to me is because I'm already involved in the work. The best antidote to guilt and paralyzation is just to do something in the community with others. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying just do something willy nilly because there's ways that people like me can do something and think we're helping and we're not. But doing it in community with others and following the lead of indigenous people, that is a really great antidote to guilt. Well, there's another thing that you said that I want to just explore with you, and that is you said well, you said in a very eloquent way that I'm not going to be able to reproduce here, but that, you know, Jesus was put to death because of sort of a, a radical resistance 
And then he was empowered. Life was restored to him in victory. And what that was making me think about was that the systems of death that we've spent a lot of time talking about, you and I, <laughs> as it relates to the doctrine of discovery, that is those systems that are sort of short for short-term profit and short-term gain, and they're destructive towards the elements of life that are required. Life restored to Christ really dwarfed those systems of death. You know what I mean? And I don't just mean death as in, you know, the death of the body, which is a natural process. I'm talking about systems that seek to obliterate the possibility for life. Right. <laughs> and in life restored to Christ, that really made sort of a mockery of the power of the systems of death because they could be defeated. They maybe seem really huge and, and like the most powerful thing, but they really aren't. They're actually quite fragile and brittle when compared to life. You know, I think I actually think about that in an ecological way. In addition to the way you just said, that I really do believe mm -hmm. in my heart of hearts that the way of life will win out. Mm. I mean, honestly, even if that ends up being that we somehow make this planet uninhabitable for life, eventually the processes of life are going to work over time in, you know, planetary time, which is so different than our time. And there's going to be life again. Hmm. There's probably life on so many other planets that we don't know about. You know, the universe is incredible, just not even looking at our earth, but looking at the universe. It's just, it's constantly expanding. There's just life bursting at the seams is sort of how I think about it. And I think that can't be stopped. I mean, that's just a very big picture kind of way of looking at it. But I think what I mean by that is that that kind of spirit of life is at the heart of creation and at the heart of the creator. Yeah. And I think that's what you mean when you say that, too. Yeah, that is. That's what I mean, that um, the systems of death, you know, the powers of empire and war it feels like it's the strongest thing and all that there is when in fact life is so much more powerful and Christ demonstrates that to us through his radical resistance. Right. That, that life was restored to him and through him um, provided to humanity. You know, I love this way. I think it was Hildegard of Bingen, a mystic from the Middle Ages. She said that Christ is the greening energy in all of creation. Hmm. I love that because I thought like, yes, that life force, mm -hmm. it's like he had that unstoppable life force within him and that even death could not end that life force. And however you imagine that, you know, right after he died, after his physical body died, I love that way of connecting Christ with all creation, that Christ is the breathing energy in all of creation. Yeah. Yep. I love that. I love that. I love that. And so, you know, here we are spending hours together in conversation, Sherry, and I, I wanted to just share what I find the most compelling about Sherry Hostetler. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is it. I mean, this is the kind of thing that, that pulls me back to our conversation over and over again. 
So, you know, I think of myself, you know, I'm an indigenous woman and in many ways I see myself as struggling for the survival of my people, my ancestral people, but also indigenous and vulnerable peoples around the world. Um, not just people that I'm genetically related to. And it makes a lot of sense that, um, that I would be engaged in this work because it's, you know, it's a struggle for survival. But why do you care so freaking much? You know, that's, <laughs> that's a question I return to again and again when, you know, your embodied life, you know, the person that you're walking around is a member of the dominant culture. It would be so easy not to be involved in the work because it would be easy to just benefit from the way things are right now and not, you know, just allow it to go on and on. But you've invested tons of your own money and seven years of your life when you don't have to. And so I find that so compelling. Why do you do it? Well, as you said once before, probably depending on the day you'd ask me, I have a different answer. <laughs> but I mean, because it's there's different parts of this that are compelling to me. Um, yes, I did grow up a member of the dominant culture, but I also grew up in an Amish Mennonite community in Ohio. And so I actually didn't feel myself to be a part of the dominant community. Not that I had that word for it, right? But uh, I actually didn't feel myself to be a part of the dominant culture. We were taught that we weren't of the world. And I also grew up in this place of incredible beauty. Hmm. I think of the place I grew up at the time I grew up there, because it's changed, as almost like the Garden of Eden. Um, it just is a place of incredible beauty. The land, it's hilly, rolling hills, farms. The, the, the farms are not industrial agriculture. They're these small, you know, a lot of them are Amish farms. And the land is so bountiful. It just gave us so much of what we needed I took such solace from the land. And then I think as I got older, I started realizing what humans were doing to the land and doing to sort of our home and doing to the earth. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I was aware of climate change pretty early on. And, you know, I actually got into this work with you because I wanted to work on climate change and on sort of ecological degradation because I couldn't stand what was happening to the land and to the earth. And I couldn't not do anything. But then I, I thought I was going to work more directly on it through, I don't know, through like a 350.org type thing, you know, working kind of directly on climate change. But then I met you. And I don't know how to say this. I always knew that somehow racial justice work or the work of white supremacy had to get tied into that climate change work in ways that I wasn't seeing it being drawn together. And then when I met you, I just felt like, and I heard about the Doctrine of Discovery, I felt like this is the very foundation of what's happening right now in our world in, in that sense that the world is getting destroyed and that the people of the land, the indigenous people of the land, you know, have been part of that destruction. And I just saw how those two things were so much a part of each other. And then the Doctrine of Discovery is just the foundation of you know, not only the destruction of the earth and the extreme violence towards indigenous people, but it's also, you know, the, the sort of moral and even legal foundation of the global slave trade. So I just saw that we were really staring straight at the power and principality when I started doing this work with you that was really at the font of all of this that I was being compelled by. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. 
And I, I appreciate, Sherry, what you're saying about, you know, sort of being grounded personally in your relationship with your home place, you know, what I would call your home place, the, the earth and the ground that you grew up on, you know, that really resonates with me. It makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, I would love to to go there with you sometime to Ohio and see your home. I've, I've never seen your home with you. You know, we've seen each other, uh, you know, in all different kinds of places, but not really at your home or my home. I mean, I've been to your home in San Francisco. You've been to my home in Washington, but um, not to your, the place that you're from. Yeah, that would be amazing. And actually, Sarah, maybe you should just come with me to Switzerland sometime because you know where my family is from and you were so helpful to me when I went on that pilgrimage back to my home place, because I actually, I actually saw the farm in Switzerland where one part of my family originated from. And you were so helpful to me. I remember talking to you in the airport as we were getting ready to board the plane. And you said, go to the waters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did. And I went to the waters near where my family's high mat or home place was. And, uh, it was in this canyon where the early Anabaptists used to hide from the those people who were trying to hunt them down. And my son swam in the waters there. I can't say it in German. I used to be able to. <laughs> I've got a really, really long name. That river has a really long name. I uh, I don't know. There was something very, very meaningful for me about that. And you had you were the one who sort of told me what to do when I went there. And I appreciated that. And I would love for you to come. Yes, I would love for you to come to Ohio. And I would love to go together to where your family is from in New Mexico, because we've never been there together either. Yeah, so true. Yeah, I would love that too. I'm wondering if you can tell me more about where your family is from. Yeah, so um, I am the daughter of a um, indigenous man and a Latina woman. My dad's family is from northern New Mexico, and my mom's family is from southern Colorado. So they're actually from geographically a pretty compact region. You know, my mom didn't grow up with an indigenous identity, but is really the product of North American indigenous people and people of Spanish descent, um, because that was all settled and colonized by Spain, that region of the U.S. My father's family is, they're the first people of that region, um, the Tewa Pueblo people of New Mexico. So that's that's how I came to be. I, I myself grew up in a city. I grew up in Albuquerque. Both of my parents grew up in, in those regions in the Southwest. And so, you know, often I think about how we are representatives of our ancestors. You know, we're alive today and there are things that we can do today to represent I guess, the interests of our ancestors, you know what I mean? So it's possible for me to struggle on behalf of the of my ancestors, the people that I come from. My people, the Tewa people, resisted, you know, they resisted colonization by Spain, for sure. And, you know, indigenous people in North America were decimated. Most of us were, were wiped out. And so how do I, as a descendant of these people, demonstrate their existence in the world? through my life. And so that's something I think about. And, and I think about the same thing for you, Sherry, you're also the descendant of, of your ancestors. And, you know, when we sort of think about history, it's not all said and done, you know, it's ongoing. And, and who are we showing up as? How, how am I showing up in the world as a descendant of my people? You know, what, what is it that I'm doing 
understanding that I am here now and alive and I have this life to do something with. You know, I have, I have the ability to, to live and be alive in the world. What is it that I'm bringing forward and instilling also in, in my children? You know, I think of um, my, you know, Amish ancestors who came over in 1732 and perhaps knowingly or probably unknowingly became a part of this, like I said, the settler colonial project. And I think of how idealistic they were <laughs> and how much they really wanted to be about bringing about the realm of God on earth. Yeah, right. It's just a fire in them and they were willing to undergo horrible persecution to live that out yeah and so i i think now we're you know my ancestors realize how they got caught up in systems of domination you know when they came to this country and this land and i think they want me to be doing this work because that wasn't their intent yeah. They came here as peace-loving people who had suffered for their vision of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And I think they want me to do this work now because they got caught up in that. That's how I see myself in this long line of, you know, my family, both directions, I can trace back to Switzerland, to the 14th. I mean, my mom and dad are fourth cousins. So, you know, <laughs> I can trace back to these Anabaptists are in my bones. And uh, they want, I know they want me to do this work because they want me to try to repair the harm and also live out more fully what they were trying to do. And I say that really humbly because there's many ways in which I'm probably caught up in systems of death, maybe even more than they are. I have to acknowledge that too. Well, yeah, I mean, it just strikes me that, you know, I came from somewhere, I'm the descendant of a people, and you also um, came from somewhere um, and are the descendant of a people. And now we're facing these systems together, shoulder to shoulder in what our work is now, um, our work of resistance and dismantling, and also our work of creation and creativity and collaboration and finding and seeking life. You know, I just wonder, you know, what is it that we're dreaming of, Sherry? What are what are you dreaming of? I'm dreaming of the reign of God on earth. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> just just that. <laughs> yeah, only only that. Um, you know, I've always really been drawn to this phrase that I believe comes more from our uh, Jewish siblings of uh, repairing the breach. That tikkun olam, I believe, means to repair the breach and there's something about that like yes the building the realm of god on earth has always been this really compelling vision for me but i also like that idea of repairing the breach or there is a breach that has existed between my people and your people and i feel like i am participating in the rep the repairing of that breach yeah i love that and so it's seeking right relationship balancing power and healing healing the injustice that that has gone on so seeking repair um, among each other and also in the world when you talk about um, the kingdom of god or the realm of god on earth that's where my mind goes is power balanced mm. 
balance restored, collaboration, a world where collaboration is possible. So we seek that mutually through embodying it and living it together. That is, to me, the power of Anabaptism. I'm seeking that future together through embodying it together, living as though that is, in fact, the world. interesting, Sarah, that you say you see that in Anabaptism, and I certainly do, but I was also really struck when you were talking about seeking cooperation and balance of how much my understanding was when the original white settlers came to this country, that's what the indigenous inhabitants were seeking with them. They were seeking to live together in cooperation, and I think that seeking to live in balance was a very much a part of their vision, which then, um, you know, was completely trampled on. I mean, I, I, I think in the very, very early years of this country, when white settlers came, there was some of that cooperation and balance, but then it quickly got steamrollered. And so, so when you said that about cooperation and balance, I also see that as a deeply indigenous vision. Well, I would say it's at the heart of Indigenous spirituality. And of course, there is a wide diversity of Indigenous spiritualities, but it's a commonality um, that I see among different uh, Indigenous traditions is that connection to creation and a a commitment to balance, to to seeking balance or right relationship um, with the systems of life, um, which would include not only animal life, but soils, water, and air. Mm. Yeah. So that vision you just said is, how do I put it? That was my experience growing up. Now, I was living, I did not see how much the way I grew up was based on the settler colonialism. So, and, you know, white privilege, really. I didn't see that piece of it, but that was my experience growing up, actually of people who were living in this balanced way with nature and cooperating among each other. And definitely there were shadows, right? But we're humans. But I think I had a little foretaste of that when I was growing up too. And I long for that to actually be the way the world is. Yeah, and I appreciate you saying that because I think those of us who are practicing Christianity or practicing, you know, discipleship with Jesus... Um, in my spiritual upbringing, which, as I said before, you know, I wasn't raised in the Mennonite church, but in my spiritual upbringing, that was seen as very much an individualistic thing and an internal thing, a spiritual thing and an abstract thing. So not something that was embodied in the world. And I think um, the work that we're doing together, we're endeavoring together is to do the opposite of that, to embody that <laughs> in our lives together, um, that it's not abstract it's here and now and it's mutual it's not just about my individual redemption it's our collective work together seeking right relationship in the world for ourselves and creation for all of humanity and all of creation seeking that repair and right relationship yes that's what i signed on for (laughs) keeps us busy eh (laughs) 
and out of trouble. <laughs> or in good trouble, as Thomas would say. <laughs> This podcast is hosted by us, co-produced by the Dismantling the Doctrine of Discovery Coalition and Anabaptist World. The opinions expressed here are ours, however, and do not reflect official positions of Anabaptist World. For more information, go to anabaptistworld.org and dofdmeno.org. Audio editing was done by Shannon Kaler. And theme music by Micah Peplo and Shannon. Thank you. Thank you.